and welcome. This is Corinne Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. I believe there are many ways to live life. There are many journeys for us to take. I believe we can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and their own uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into the space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really, ask yourself that. Join me each week for inspiration, empowerment, and entertainment. You can connect with me at www.howshereallydoesit.com and sign up for the weekly newsletter and get this interview and every interview delivered directly into your inbox. My guest today is going to talk about courage. What does courage mean to you? Do you wish you had more of it? I do at times. Today's guest is Andrea Shear. She is the creator of Superhero Life. And Andrea currently has an online course about cultivating courage. And we are going to talk about her own journey with courage and how you can practice courage as well. Andrea, hello and welcome. Thank you, Corinne. It's a pleasure to be here. So courage, why did you decide, first off, to do a course on cultivating courage? Well, I think I either consciously or unconsciously always create a course that speaks to my own learning edge. And I don't think that was entirely conscious when I started writing the curriculum for cultivating courage. But um, now I really see that it's, it's something that I need to practice every day, and most especially right now, it feels like. And um, practice every day. I love that you say that, because in the work that I do, I'm always talking about you need to practice, right? It's not just learning something intellectually. It's about how can you apply it into your real life. Exactly, and that's really the premise for this course. It was actually partly inspired by, I read this book called 29 Gifts, I don't know if you've heard of it. No. But it, it's about this woman who she, she was diagnosed with MS when she was really young, and she wasn't doing well and was having a hard time walking. And she was given a prescription by a shaman. And this shaman said, give something away every day for 29 days and write about it and see what happens. And she had this incredible experience and her health was improving and it was just this really miraculous journey that she shared about in this book and then invites her readers and her community to do this 29-day sort of odyssey of giving something every single day away. And I did it and it was so transformative, just this, this practice of doing this one small thing each day that was conscious. And when I thought of the courage class, I thought, what would it be like to do one conscious, brave move every day for 30 days? 
who would you be on the other side and who what would a community look like of you know 100 plus women doing this together like what kind of courage would ripple out in the world from there that was the that was the vision for the course wow and so are you practicing as well every day oh yeah i'm totally in the game <laughs> And it's so, it's really exciting. I mean, as the, the guide and sort of the leader of the course, I feel like I have to really have integrity around that and really be in it with them. And it's been really incredible. And it's been very juicy as a, as a teacher to be really devoted to the material and the community in that way, to really be in it with them. And do you ever have a moment where you're sending out like, the assignment and going, ooh, I really don't want to do this? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, yes and no. There was an invitation that went out yesterday or a dare. I've been having these intermittent dares pop up throughout the course. And the dare was to extend an invitation of some kind. So it could be as simple as inviting someone for tea that you've always wanted to meet or throwing a party, which for me is very anxiety-producing. Mm-hmm. And so I had myself in mind, actually, when I wrote The Dare. And I have this vision of, I've had this vision for years of gathering women once a month, like five women that I've sort of hand-selected, and I want to put them in a room together and have a kind of storytelling circle where we each bring a story on a particular theme and share during this dinner. So... So I did it. So I sent out the dare, and, and, and I sent out this invitation, and um, it was kind of exhilarating. Wow. Yeah. And um, so what, is, what does courage mean to you? What, do you ta- what does courage mean? Well, you know, I've been thinking about that question, and there's, there's a saying that, that, that I really like, which is courage is feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think there's real wisdom in that because the fear is going to be there. It, it actually wouldn't require courage if the fear wasn't present. So it's getting really, it's really just getting practice in living through the, the fear part and feeling it and letting it move through you and understanding that it's not going to kill you. Nothing, you know, earth shattering will happen if you just feel it. And I think that's what takes practice. And courage is like a muscle that we need to strengthen. And if we can do it in just tiny ways, then it won't, hopefully, you know, will be, it's almost like a fitness program. You're almost more fit for the job when something really big is required of you. I love that. I love courage being a muscle. Right. Because sometimes do you find that people think they either have courage or that they don't? Right. Well, I think of it almost like weightlifting. You know, there's sort of, there's the the kind of weightlifting where you're just trying to lift maybe the, the biggest barbell you can possibly lift and you're sort of going for like the biggest kind of win there. Or there's a style where you just come in and you're just lifting 10 pound weights with a lot of reps every single day. And this course is like, you know, a lot of reps with a little bit of weight every day. And then, like I said, you know, one day, the, the, the big courage moments usually sneak up on you, and you don't get to plan for them. Mm-hmm. And so one day, you're like, okay, this is my moment. And you realize you've been training, you've been preparing yourself 
for, for that moment, and you can find your courage more easily. Because you've been practicing. Exactly. You've been practicing. And I think yeah. I'm, as you talk about this, I also coach you swimming in town, and we have this little girl, and, and she has to work on her courage a lot. And mm-hmm. she's gotten stronger and resilient. And then, um, you know, where she used to be really scared, you know, for new things and new environments. And, and this last weekend, she showed up at the meet and she was entering an event. And instead of, like, you know, being really upset or crying about it, she just looked and she told her mom, I think somebody made a mistake. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right? Where this is before, I mean, you know, just to swim one lap across the pool, she would be really scared and intimidated. Mm-hmm. And this time I was like, I think somebody just made a mistake. Because I really shouldn't be in this. But she swam it. And then afterwards, she goes, that was my favorite race. I think I'm really good at that. Oh. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, but she needed all those stairs, right, to climb before that to prepare her for that moment. And her mom, you know, can look back and go, wow, look at this kid who six months ago was a different child to swim one lap. And here she swims a race that's four lengths. Oh, so inspiring. Well, and it it reminds me, actually, um, my son, who's now six years old, when he took his first swim lessons a few years ago, um, I was watching him, like, through the glass at the YMCA, like, the parents weren't allowed in the pool, Mm -hmm. and there were all these, they're called the minnows, so there's all these little minnows lined up um, on the edge of the pool, and the instructor was like, okay, you know, jump in, you know, sort of jump into his arms, and nobody would do it, not even one of these three-year-olds would do it. And then he did something so brilliant. He said, okay, you're ferocious dinosaurs. Let me hear you growl. And they all went, rawr, you know, growling. And then he said, okay, jump. And one by one, every single one jumped. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. And, and, and that, because I think of when a kid goes in to even swim lessons or to be a swim meet or first day of school, I think that takes a lot of courage, right? Because they have fear. There's the fear of the unknown. Yeah. And for, you know, for us, like for me to jump into the pool, you know, it's, there's no, there's no fear. (laughs) It doesn't take Mm -hmm. courage. It's just about me jumping in the pool bit because I've developed so much experience with the pool that it's not a fearful event, but it's, it's been something I've developed over a lifetime. So I think sometimes I wonder, so I was interviewing somebody a while ago, and they said, well, because I said something about having courage, and they said, well, it's not like they're going off to war. And I think that's mm. a different type of courage, don't you think? Mm. Are you asking me, is yes. that a different type? Yeah, or it's courage, but it's in a different form. Like, courage doesn't have to be something, you know, life and death. Courage can be going to a swim lesson. Exactly. No, I think we all have different edges, and they, you know, they can sometimes speak to our wounds. Um, I have a real learning edge or a real courage edge around using my voice and speaking and even writing, you know, just sharing my opinion, and, and that I felt like my, that my whole life has been a real trajectory around that, um, some people, you know, they, they're afraid to go to a restaurant by themselves or go to a movie by themselves. Like, that would be a real edge for them. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we, we, we all just, I think we all need to be willing. Okay, so there's this vulnerability piece that I'm really fascinated with. Mm-hmm. And it's like being one of the keys, I think, around courage is just being willing to be vulnerable. 
So it's like at your edge, you're going to feel vulnerable, and that's where you need the courage. That's when you reach for the courage. And it's different for everyone. And everybody has different edges. Yeah. I'm processing. So can you say more about you being at your edge with speaking and writing? Because isn't that what you do? (laughs) Um, It is. So this is something that um, actually one of my brave moves this month with this course was to share on my blog about my anxiety and panic attacks and Mm -hmm. things that I've been going through in the last few years. And so the very first panic attack I ever had was the first time I did any public speaking. So it really blindsided me. I didn't know that would happen. I was excited about this this art retreat I was going on where I was teaching. And it was this really traumatic experience. And, And then it kept happening every time I would go somewhere to do a public speaking event. I would have a pretty severe panic attack the night before, and then I wouldn't sleep. And I was always able to do the event, but it came at a really high price, and there was always big sort of reverberations on the other side of the event where I would um, have a lot of anxiety for many weeks. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think for me there's, there's something there that I'm still exploring. It's, it's some, some kind of unprocessed trauma that's around mm-hmm. that and it just shows up in that moment. That feels like the least safe place for me to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like it's really, it's really healing work for me to be doing, to be confronting that edge over and over and over again, which is what I do in my work. And I don't want to make myself suffer. So there have been times when I've just said, you know what, I'm just going to say no for a while. I don't need to keep hurting myself. <laughs> um, And I feel called to speak, and I feel called to use my voice, and I keep going there. I just keep going there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and, I mean, there's also, you you write about the panic attack, right, in your your blog. So, I mean, you're you're really putting it out there. You're talking about it on the show. Um, Does that, most people would look at that and go, oh, well, she must not have any issues or any fear around putting it out there publicly? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, the, the piece about, about sharing my, my truth or my real story with others is um, it's kind of, it's almost, it, it, it's almost like the avenue. Hmm, I'm, I'm sort of processing this in real time in this moment. <laughs> um, I think it's one of the tools for me to find my courage um, and I'll explain. Um, I remember the first time I ever revealed something really personal on my blog was when I had a miscarriage um, about maybe eight years ago. And I remember experiencing the miscarriage and talking with some friends. I was really heartbroken at the time. And my friend said, are you going to share about this on your blog? Mr. Sopton said, he, and then he, he sort of followed that up with, not that I think you should, I think it would be, you know, really generous if you did, but, like, I, I wouldn't do it kind of thing. And that word generous just really resonated for me, and I thought it would be really generous if I did. Like, I could make this experience an offering to the world, and 
maybe have some women feel less alone that are going through the same thing or have gone through it. And so I decided to do that, and I felt like I, I got exactly what I needed in that moment, which was the comfort of knowing that I wasn't alone. And it was just such a part, big part of my healing process. Mm-hmm. And I really got to see how when we're, we're sort of giving the medicine that we most need, mm-hmm. um, it's just this amazing exchange. And so I've made a practice of that um, and shared on my blog a few days ago that I started taking antidepressants for my anxiety and panic to see if that would help. And that felt like another taboo, another thing that people don't talk about. And, um, and again, was met with so much, so many stories and so much support. And it's been amazing. And so for so you're saying then that writing is a way for you to help process what's going on for you. Exactly. It, it's part of my own healing process mm-hmm. and part of how I make, how I try to make my life an offering to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I joke with my friends, like, of my, you know, my public service, it's sort of like my public service is to, like, you know, ha- offer up these stories. Um, but I think that too many of us feel alone in whatever struggle it is that we're going through. We're convinced that we're the only ones or there's something wrong with us that we're going through it. And I just want to be a voice for, for the, the, you know, for that you're not alone. We're mm-hmm. never alone in anything. Mm-hmm. It's all part of the human experience. I was just thinking of that word, the human experience. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, because it is because we we so often, don't you think, compare our insides with somebody else's outsides and the story that we've created for their outsides. Oh, God, every time I go to Facebook, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, the, it's, it's, it's really a problem. And I know a lot of people have written about this, and I'm so fascinated. Like, how has Internet culture and Facebook and Pinterest and all this stuff, like, what does it do to our self-confidence and our illusion about and projection about other people's lives and their perfect homes and their perfect children. Oh, that's a really good. That'd be a really good show to talk about. Um, no, yeah. you know, it's interesting because I've kind of fallen off of Facebook um, because there is just so much stuff that goes on there. And, yeah. um, and I think what we, and even though that, you know, obviously the founders have said that they wanted to be a place of connection, and there are times that I've been able to use it and, you know, people, um, you know, can really connect and, you know, join forces and, you know, share an exciting time um, mm-hmm. or to be a support. But I do think there's a lot of compare and despair that can happen on that. Yeah. On that site. Definitely. Uh, well, and I think there is something I read like, you're comparing, what is it, something about you're comparing based your own life to somebody else's highlight reel. <laughs> <laughs> so they're just showing you, like, this montage of the best moments, the most magical moments in their life. And you just think, like, oh, wow, I really suck. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't help us get anywhere. It doesn't. It doesn't. So going back, so going back to courage, um, did you ever feel that you didn't have courage? Hmm. 
You know, I think I've always believed that I've had it, and it's just something to reach for. So it's like a choice. Like, do I reach for my courage and show up, um, or do I not? Um, I don't know that I've ever questioned whether I had it or not. Mm-hmm. But with this public speaking thing, um, it's been really interesting because I've really had to weigh the suffering I experience before I do any public speaking with the, the joy and satisfaction that I get on the other side, and is that in proportion or not. And over this summer, I gave myself permission to just cancel everything that I had said I was going to do because these anxiety and panic attacks were ramping up. And almost as soon as I did that, something sort of serendipitous happened, and it was that I was reading a friend's book about marketing, and inside was a sample press release. And the press release was for this thing called Speaking Circles. And it's... um. I was reading about it, and it was, it was like my story. It was this man who was very anxiety-prone, but he was really called to do public speaking. And he taught himself to – he developed some sort of method to allow himself to be completely in his skin and totally in the moment in front of, you know, thousands of people, if, if that's what happened. And it was one of those moments where it's like, okay, you know, you, know, you can Google this. He, it was it – was, coincidentally right in Berkeley this man was mm-hmm. located where I live and it was like you know are you going to say yes to this and see if there's something here for you to learn or are you not and so I I signed up and there was a speaking circle happening the very next week and it was totally terrifying I mean, really really terrifying I almost left many times <laughs> um, I found I found out when I got there that I couldn't just observe, which I thought I was going to do, but I actually had to participate, and I had to do a totally unprepared, no one was allowed to prepare anything, a three-minute story in front of the whole crowd, and then a seven-minute story in front of the whole crowd. And the crowd was not allowed to give you any feedback. They couldn't smile. They couldn't encourage you with their body language or anything. And you just had to be with... You know, the terror, if that's what you were experiencing or whatever was showing up for you, um, you had to learn to be with what showed up in your body in in the face of that fear. And it was so intense and maybe the bravest thing I've ever done. Um, But it was was transformative. I, I went several times and felt really... I've, I've felt transformed by it. So this is all still unfolding, but I think there's something in me that just really wants to feel free and move past this stuff that holds me back, and I just keep saying yes. I, um, so with the courage... I'm wondering if that courage is that it, it's like almost a dichotomy, right? Because you have the fear, which is saying, no, this is not safe. Don't do it. And right. then there's that courage that's saying, but I want to do it. I, I, I want, right. I, I, I need to do it. I need to keep yeah. moving forward. And it's, it's that, it, it's that almost, I guess, internal struggle to, you know, 
become better, not not in the sense of being a good girl, but, you know, to mm-hmm. develop new skill sets, right? Whether it's speaking, writing, whatever we don't think we can do. Right. Um, and, it, and it's uncertain, isn't it? Yeah. Which then speaks to the vulnerability piece because you're, mm-hmm. you're going to be taking some sort of risk by stepping into this courage area. Right. So we all have courage. Some, mm-hmm. some of us may have a stronger muscle than others because we've practiced it, it more. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. And so, and when you went through this speaking, right, you showed up, you signed up. I think, isn't it great when we sign up for something? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've committed. Well, because, you know, like reading books, right? I mean, I love to read books. I read a lot of books for the show. I read a lot of great books that have great information, but I think that's what helps us get stuck in because we think if we read a book, that's going to transform us. Right. But reading a book is just, it's understanding something at an intellectual level versus actually going and doing it. Yes. Yes. Right. Or even like you signing up for the class thinking, oh, I can step back and, and just watch and I'll pick up stuff. Right. Right. But what we know with brain research is that the actual act of doing right and going through that struggle, it creates new pathways in our brain. Right. Well, and the other thing is I find when I am building my courage muscles in whatever form that is, I don't always know why I'm doing it or what the gifts will be on the other side. So, for example with the speaking circles, I had this really profound insight while I was watching some of the other people do their talks. And I realized as they were holding my gaze, I was one of the other rules is that you had to maintain eye contact with somebody for like several beats and then keep talking and go to the next person and maintain eye contact with them. So there was this incredible intimacy. You couldn't let your eyes rove. You had to really be at attention with this person. And I saw that, oh, my God, this isn't about public speaking for me. This is about intimacy and vulnerability, and this is about my marriage, and this is about, oh, my God, this is about so much other stuff. And I could have a breakthrough around speaking, but it's not necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be getting on a stage. It means that there's something in me that wants to be healed, and it's coming through this particular channel. Okay. So you're a coach. I'm a coach. Yeah. So, you know, um, don't you find, because I find people think, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to go take care of this area of my life. So one area that I work with clients is weight loss, right? They're going to take care of this area because it's just, they think of it as being this compartment. But what then happens is that so much happens. Their marriages, right? Work, relationships, their own self-confidence, whatever. There's, There's so many different things that occur. And like you, you went to the speaking thing and you found that there was so much other stuff was connected to. I use the word, we're kind of just a giant mesh. It's all connected. It's all intertwined. You mm-hmm. know, you can't just clean up this one area without there being kind of a spillover effect. Tell right. me where I'm wrong. Oh, that's so, it's so true. And I, yeah, exactly. With coaching, people come often for their career uh-huh. and then you end up talking, right, talking about their marriage uh-huh. or talking about something else that they like, whoa, I didn't really sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's what I love about a, pr- 
practice like practicing courage each day because you can do these tiny, tiny things like, you know, maybe you're in the lecture hall that day and because you've decided to practice courage, you're going to raise your hand and ask the question Mm -hmm. that you really want to ask, but you don't normally raise your hand. Mm -hmm. And you keep doing that and pretty soon things start shifting in your life and miracles start happening and opportunities start showing up and the universe is asking, okay, is it a yes or a no? And you start saying yes. And then, I don't know, I think there's this incredible kind of upward spiral that happens when we, when we choose this practice in particular. I mean, there's so many different ways to do this, but this is just a really simple practice that I've newly discovered. And the new, the, the new practice that you discovered is? Is one tiny brave choice each day. Well, and that's, I I think that's so important because it's about how can you incorporate into your lives, right? People are tired, they're overworked, they're overwhelmed, and they'll say, well, I don't have time for this. And I'm like, it's, you just, how can you incorporate that into your life? And when you Mm -hmm. say it's one tiny little practice, right? Mm -hmm. That's not overwhelming. Exactly. Well, and it shows up in really interesting places, like on one of the things that I did this month was... I made the dentist appointment. Mm-hmm. How many of us are afraid to make a dentist appointment? Or we, we procrastinate. We think we just, oh, I just can't be bothered. I don't have time. We procrastinate on it. And pretty soon it's three years later and we haven't gone to the dentist. Mm-hmm. And I'm noticing like, oh, like there's something, there's something I'm, I'm afraid of around that. There's either shame there or there's fear. This mm-hmm. is what I've discovered with things that I'm procrastinating on. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of getting underneath it, okay, well, what's that about? And what do I need in order to, you know, move that thing forward? It's, it's those kinds of courage. I mean, I think it's, it's really ordinary, everyday kind of stuff I'm mm-hmm. talking about. But that's, I think, isn't that, though, the, one of the keys to change is that ordinary stuff, right? It's not about having this epiphany or this one life-changing moment. Right. It's about how do you practice and you, you build these, I mean, the, you know, like I've interviewed Dan Quayle about the talent code, right? And he talks a lot mm-hmm. about the brain and how do we, how do we train the brain and how the neural pathways grow. So scientifically, mm-hmm. we could just talk about, you know, when you practice one, one day, every day you do a little bit of something to cultivate courage. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, one day you lift your head up and you're like, oh, this thing that used to be so challenging for me, I can do this. Right. Right. Well, and I'm guessing, uh, you know, we're sort of halfway through this class, but I'm really guessing that there's a kind of confidence that comes from, like, one of the byproducts of this kind of practice when we live our lives this way is, yeah, we, we, we get our mojo back and we feel more alive and more confident and we trust ourselves more because we know that we're capable. Mm-hmm. That's really valuable. Which then will spill over into other areas of our life. It could spill over to our careers, our marriages, relationships, volunteering, it, anything. Exactly, exactly. Well, and I've been keeping a, like a courage diary. We have these worksheets that we have in the class, and I've been recording like how it felt after each brave move that I did. And most of the time, the words are exhilarating, energizing, enlivening, and who doesn't want that? I mean, that's what it's about, right? <laughs> I just want to feel alive. Mm-hmm. But do you think that's hard because that's not really, 
um, is it quantifiable? I don't know. It's not, how do you measure that, right? Because do you find people mm-hmm. get stuck with, well, okay, I feel alive, but what's that going to get me in the end? Mm. Like, wow, cause, well, cause, like, yeah, I don't know. Is that a rhetorical question? Because, <laughs> well, like, sometimes I'll see clients that get stuck because of, like, but no, it has to give me this defined outcome. Whether it's, right. you know, I, I think a lot of times we measure success based on numbers. How much money do you make? How much weight do you, how much do you weigh? What size jeans? How big is the square footage of your house? Right. right. So it's all these numbers, and that's, that's quantifiable if I'm using yeah. that term correctly, right? And so that's how they measure success. And then when I go, well, how do you feel? Well, no, no, no. I want to measure success this way. I want to have this plan this way. But yeah. yes, I get what you're saying because, yeah, I would want to feel alive. I would want to feel good, right, mm-hmm. exhilarated, energized. Or sometimes I just feel relief when I get to, you know, get done with that thing that I thought was going to be so awful. And I'm like, oh. right. <laughs> I, feel, I feel so much relief and it really wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Right, right, exactly. Well, you know, I guess... I guess I see the course, for example, as the the training program or or the 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 gym or something. And maybe the goal is to climb the mountain and get to the top. But you're you're training for a few months beforehand, and you're you know lifting weights or doing reps or whatever. And so the, the, the course itself, I'm not thinking of it as as very goal oriented. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of process oriented and an experiment in, and there's just no real defined outcome. But I love the idea of having some sort of larger goal on the other side too. Like, okay, so if you were the bravest version of yourself, then what would you be doing? What would you be creating in your life? Ooh, that's a scary question. What would you be doing? Ooh, I knew you were going to ask me that. I shouldn't have said that. Um, I, w- I would write the book that I've been wanting to write my entire life and been, you know, threatening to write. Um, I would just start. And what's the book? Well, you know, it's been different things at different times. Um, so at this point, it would be some sort of collection of essays, I think it will be about creative superpowers like courage and, um, you know, how they can carry us toward our our dreams and the things we want most in our life. Mm -hmm. And so what stops you from writing this book? Huh. Well, I think that's why I've been working so hard on growing my ability to use my voice in all these different ways because I think that's what's always stopped me is that voice that's like, well, who are you to, you know, think that anyone wants to hear what you have to say or what could you possibly say that hasn't been said before? You know, those kinds of voices. Mm-hmm. And I've come to a sort of realization that, you know, there is a certain population of people that just want to hear it from me. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, they resonate with me and who I am and my style, and those are my people. And I don't have to reach everybody, but I have my people, and it's about that. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that take courage? 
I think it does. I mean, I think it takes courage to trust yourself and believe in yourself. And, yeah, it's, it's big courage for me. I mean, I, ca- I can talk a good game, but, wow, you know, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it does. It, and, but doesn't it also take courage to show up? Exactly. I think that's 80% or more of it is showing up. To show up even though you have that voice in your head that says, well, who are you? Exactly. Who are you? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that, because I think that, you know, when you talk about resonating, so many people and so many women especially do have that voice of, who am I? Who am I mm-hmm. to do this? Right? Right. And so when you show up, even with the, who am I? Mm-hmm. That can be inspiring right there. Right. Yeah. You know, I I don't know why this memory is coming to me now, but I was just thinking of another situation in my life where I really had to grow my courage. And it's been with my son, who is now six years old, but he started having seizures when he was 12 months old. Mm -hmm. They were febrile seizures at the beginning, which are harmless but totally terrifying and then they started to develop into other varieties of seizures that um so now he has he takes medication for epilepsy and all of this but to be able to be with the terror in those moments when he was having seizures and it happened so many times and I was with him every single time which was great I'm so glad I was but um, it was really traumatizing each time, and I really grew my capacity to stay present and be helpful and grounded. And um, I, I think that's a diff- perhaps a different kind of courage than what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. But it really speaks to the the growing a muscle mm-hmm. and building a capacity to hold things that are hard. Mm-hmm. And I think any parent can relate to, to that, to being able to hold things that are hard and building your capacity there. No, I, I definitely think because there's uncertainty, right? You don't know what yeah. the outcome's going to be. This is right. a really high pain threshold area because it's your child. Yes. Right? So, and not knowing, I mean, don't you think courage is about also not knowing not having certainty. Yes, exactly. If we know that tomorrow will bring X, we don't have to mm-hmm. really go into tomorrow. There's not, there's not, I mean, we, sorry, we don't need courage. Like for me to go into a pool, I know I don't need courage to go into a pool. Right. Because I know what to expect and, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and I kept looking, I mean, for the first several times that these, these incidents would happen, I was always looking around like, who, you know, who's the authority here? Like, who can fix this? And it was like, I was always looking around, and it was always me. Mm-hmm. Like, there was, it was kind of like, you know, when you're a scared parent, you're like, okay, did this, you know, can, can this person, like, this, can this baby's real parent show up, please, and take care of this? Because <laughs> you don't really, you're like, wow, you know, I'm the one. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that needs to be the expert here or... I'm the one who needs to know what to do. And that, for me, was really terrifying. 
Yeah. I know what you mean. I was thinking about this. I mean, it wasn't to this extent, but it was just, I remember the other day about being a child and going to my parents and asking them something, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't have a big, big example what I asked them, but they were the voice of authority. They would give me information. Right. And, and now I'm like, oh, that's the responsibility that I'm supposed to have now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so scary. And I have yeah. Google, right, where I can Google things my parents didn't have. And it's like, well, when am I supposed to be that person that knows all this stuff? But I, there's so much that I don't know. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, and in the case of epilepsy, you go to the doctor and they can't actually see the problem because he's not having a seizure while I'm taking him to the doctor. So it's all anecdotal. So all of the data, I mean, like I realized as a parent how much data I had collected about you know, what his body felt like in my arms and what were his eyes doing and what did his skin look like. They're like, it was like, it was amazing how detailed the information was that I was collecting through all of these different incidents. And that's the only way they can create a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, re- and I realized, you know, to keep him safe, I started to understand what the signals were ahead of time. And it was like, wow, I really am the expert here, and I'm the only one who's going to be able to help him best. And it was, it was a really extraordinary learning place for me as a parent, as somebody who I was a, a younger sibling and, you know, just little. Like people, I just had took on this role of being the little one who didn't take responsibility for anything and was never in charge. And I realized, wow, like, I'm, I have to be a grown-up, and I have to deal in this really profound way. It's really good for me. Well, and don't you think your courage allowed you to be present instead of running around in this place of fear? Yes, definitely. And, and courage, I have a question. Just when you, when you have courage, isn't there a still a sense of struggle when you're going through this process of having courage? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I I was just flashing back to the first time he had a seizure, and I immediately called 911 and really had that, you know, somebody come fix this fast feeling because I really didn't know what to do or what was happening. Um, And so I kind of wondered, like, how much courage did I really have those first times? Um, I, I don't know how much courage I actually had in those times. But, um, but yeah, it, being brave doesn't mean that you're not feeling all of the feelings that come along with a set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's one of the great things about this practice of the speaking circles where you're standing in front of a crowd and you're doing this seven-minute unprepared talk. Um, you, part of the practice is just standing there and feeling your heart beating out of your chest violently and your palms sweating and the tears that are coming because you, you just, I, I cried several times during those, those first days that I went. And just knowing that those things move through you and then they are gone mm-hmm. and you're still there. You're still standing there. And you're okay. It's not as bad as you thought. Yeah. Yeah, because I do think that I wonder, as I think about this, 
that if we think sometimes, oh, well, people have courage, it's just easy, right? They can mm-hmm. go, I mean, yes, I can be on the radio, but I've been, do, I've been practicing and I still get scared and I still worry is, you know, am I going to do a good enough job? And there's still right. all those thoughts that come up. But I still show up and I do the job. And I'm also thankful that it's live because if it was recorded, I would become a misperfectionist and never right, get it out. Edit, right, edit, edit, edit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I made a recording the other day, and it was a 10-minute recording that took over four hours. So <laughs> <laughs> and finally, I had to let go. Um, so, you know, thank goodness it's, this is live radio. But don't you – I wonder if people think that when they have courage – when others have courage, it's still scary. There's still the struggle. It's not easy to show up, yeah. but they show up. Right. Well, it's interesting. I think that's the projection that we always have about other people. Like, oh, it's easy for her. It's easy for Corinne. I mean, look at her. Like, it's so easy for her because she's so amazing, you know? And, you know, it, I, and if that's sort of coming back to the Facebook problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's, you know, we just... We, we somehow are wired to think we're the only ones that are struggling, and that's why it's so important. I think for women in particular, I mean, for us to share what the real deal is about motherhood, for example, because that's such a place of insecurity and mm-hmm. projection. <laughs> yes, and comparing and despairing. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when... Like, I, I had two different mom's groups I started out with when I first had Ben, my, my older son. And the first one was, it was kind of that, that extremist Berkeley hippie mom kind of thing where everything was organic and if you, you had to breastfeed or, you know, bottle, you know, all that stuff, this sort of extremism that you can find sometimes here. And I felt so much pressure, like I was not having an easy time breastfeeding, and I brought a bottle with formula one day, and I just felt like a pariah. And then I found this other mom's group, and these women were just like, you know, you know sometimes we were all in tears, like, oh, my God, this is so hard, you know, and we were just really talking about what our real experience was. And I just find that so healing and connecting and it's the real deal. I just, I like the real deal. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that's, I, I think we do a disservice to our community when we're not speaking to the whole range of experience. Well, I just, I think you're right. And I think um, to, to the, you know, if, if someone chooses to want to, you know, feed a certain way, then that's a choice. Yeah. Um, right? Um, sure, it's, yeah. But I also know that parenting is a, is a marathon. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, I, I just do the best that I can. But to get out of that compare and despair and to have that courage and, um, and to figure out, I guess it's about, isn't it about figuring out, like, what is right for you? And Yeah. And, and like you spoke to earlier, right, everybody has their different edge on where their courage is. Right. And for your son, for swim lessons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for you, it's speaking and writing. Mm-hmm. For me, it's going to a social event. Oh, really? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, which most people wouldn't, because they see me leading hundreds of people, you know, just with a swim team. I get up, I stand up, I talk, 
but to then to go to a social event, that is, that takes a lot of courage for me. Wow. Yeah, and people, I'm sure, would never guess mm-hmm. that about you. Yep. That's it. Yeah, for me, that is the hard thing to do, to show up in that capacity is very mm-hmm. different. Yeah, I, I do think it's, you know, I do think just being able to hold our edges with compassion, mm-hmm. to have that kind of self-compassion, and also to work with fear and ask yourself compassionate questions like, okay, how can we make this more fun and easy for you? Mm-hmm. How can we make going out into a social situation more fun and easy? Like what would the circumstances be that would help? Mm-hmm. Um, for example, with this, this dare I threw out of throwing a party or extending an invitation of some kind, and with this, this scenario of this potluck I'm envisioning, I had to really ask myself, the the reason I've been sitting on the idea for years is because I don't like to host parties. It really, it creates a lot of anxiety for me, and I never enjoy parties that I'm actually the host at. And when I asked myself, you know, how can we make it fun and easy, the answer was right there. It was like, well, we'd have it at someone else's house. There would be five people or less there, and everyone would bring a dish, so I wasn't responsible for cooking. And it was like, oh, okay, I can do that. I can find somebody who loves to host and have it there. Mm-hmm. We can ask everyone to bring a dish. That's not a big deal. So suddenly it was something was possible that wasn't possible before because I was working with the fear and not saying, okay, if you want to be brave, it has to look like this. Mm-hmm. See, because for me to have to show up with a potluck dish, that would ignite fear. <laughs> Oh, to bring a potluck dish to a party? Yes. (laughs) I love it. I almost didn't join a book club before because um, we had to cook. When you hosted, you had to cook. Oh, yeah. I don't think I could be a part of this. (laughs) No, I get it. I totally get it. I wouldn't want to have to host it either. So we we all have our own things, and that's okay. And then it sounds like how can we, what are the things that we want to or maybe ready to or maybe not ready to, right? I mean, obviously you Mm -hmm. weren't ready to deal with your son and his seizures. Right. But, you know, that becomes, at some point it's you choose motherhood because, I mean, right? It's like you're going to, or you choose to help him, not because you want to, but because there's a problem and you're his caretaker and you love him. Right. Right. So we Mm -hmm. sometimes have choices that. We don't necessarily choose, but we choose because of other reasons. And then right. sometimes we have an event like you're having where mm-hmm. you choose to, okay, what can I outsource in a sense? Right. And still have what I want mm-hmm. and find it. Yeah. Courage. Right. Courage. So in, in this last couple weeks, I know it's been a couple weeks that you guys have been doing the Cultivating Courage. Have you felt like your muscles are getting stronger? Mm. Yeah, I do. It's becoming more of a habit, which mm-hmm. is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a habit of courage that I'm forming. So life happens, and a moment shows up, and it's like, oh, and like my go-to mode is like, oh, here's my brave move for the day. <laughs> I was, you know, I needed a brave move, and here, here it is. So I think that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm is I I forget how long it takes to cultivate a habit. I think there's some research 
in some book out right now about that specific topic. But um, I think it's 21 days or something. Um, but I think that's what's so wonderful about it. It's a practice that becomes a habit, and then you not only are you not only have more access to courage, you're less scared, but you're. I find that I'm 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 enlivened by it, and I'm excited about it, and so I want more of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Andrea, what are a couple tips, a couple takeaways that the listeners can do to practice courage in their life? Well, I would challenge you, you know, to do your own, maybe it's your own seven-day experiment right now to start. And just ask yourself each day, what's, t- what's one tiny, brave choice I can make today? And maybe it's, you know, making the dentist appointment or there, there's this theme in the discussion area of our class around hairdressers, and people have a lot of anxiety about quitting their hairdresser and going to a different one or that kind of thing. So it it really could be anything, Um, but I would challenge you to just start practicing and see what shows up for you. Where are your edges? Mm -hmm. What, What would be possible for you in your life if you were the bravest version of yourself? Ooh, that's like if you want question. an outcome, that's kind of the that's that's sort of the end game in a way. It's like, what totally extraordinary thing would would you be doing if you were the bravest version of yourself? So that would be the first thing. And then I guess the second thing would just be, like I said, to work with the fear. I I, I don't think it's it's like an all or nothing kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe. Maybe the book is for like for me is the is the really brave brave move that I've been working toward my whole life, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that I have to do it alone or mm-hmm. that I can't ask for help or that I can't hire a coach or that I can't you know get support in like a hundred different ways to help me make that dream real. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important piece the asking for help and mm-hmm. getting support. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, especially with the big moves. Mm-hmm. But yeah. even with the small ones, like the party. Yeah, because you still ask for help there. Yeah. And I did in my book club. My husband cooked dinner for when I would host. There you go. <laughs> and there's always people who love to do the things that we're terrified of. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes we're a perfect match. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for being a guest today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. It was fun. This is Corinne Modekaitis. You've been listening to How She Really Does It. My guest today is Andrea Schur, and she is the creator of Superhero Life. You can sign up for my newsletter at www.howshereallydoesit.com and get this and other interviews delivered directly in your inbox.